Everybody that you meet, you can learn something from them. It's not necessarily what you achieve in life that matters most, but it's who you become in the process of those achievements that really matters. We all need people who believe in us. They expand the boundaries we place on our own lives. What makes me most proud is how I played the game. Being real, authentic, and spontaneous, and loving the game, to me, is what it was all about. When you retire, you may get a chance to go to football heaven. This is football heaven. Hey guys, Jameer Howardson here and welcome to The Mission. The Hall recently announced the 15 newest members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And today, we're gonna take a deep dive into these guys' careers. First, we saw the live surprises on CBS and Fox for Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson. But let's take a look at these two legendary coaches' road to camp. very humbling and for a little kid who grew up four miles on the other side of the mountain where the incline is, um, it's very, very special. You know, it's, it's a family-run place and when you walk in there, there's this great sense of tradition, a great sense of pride, um, and a great sense of family. Now, fellas, work with me. Take a look at this guy here as he returned back to Pittsburgh <laughs> for the 75th reunion there. Tell me, Boomer, he doesn't miss the sidelines. Look at him greeting his players. Is he fired up or what? The fire is still burning in the belly, folks. I was there Monday night, and they love Bill Cowher in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so like coaching Dan? Slapping the guys and hitting them. Right. JB, what about the new teammates? I don't get no love like that when I'm in the green room. Sunday is about objectivity. <laughs> Monday night's about passion. <laughs> Coach Bill Cowher. He was exactly the type of coach I needed to succeed. He was a blue-collar football coach. Coach, you are one of the biggest reasons I stand here today, and I hope someday you stand here next to me because you deserve it. He's coming up. I'm, I'm right here on Okay. Him. I mean, but I'm still able to look. I'm feeling him, but I can still see anything coming. Okay. You know, because you're checking the back, number right. three. Comes Larry Brown to the 15. I remember that whenever we were kind of, the game was decided and won our way down with my mom, my mom was like, Megan, like, no, your dad's gonna come over to us afterwards and you're gonna have to say something to him. Like, he's just lost, it's been a tough game, like, you need to say something nice. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being like, okay. So I'm on my way down, and I'm trying to think of what I'm gonna say. Oh, Sorry. We'll see you in the locker room, okay? Your dad hugs both of you and he says, Sometimes he was, sometimes he was. And you remember what you said? Mm-hmm. I said, um, Dad, win or lose, you'll always be my hero. Dad, win or lose, you'll always be my hero. And the only thing else I got to say is, how about you, Cowboys? Yeah! I don't, I don't care about the foul score. I care about you beating your man. Remember, Jimmy was my guy, college and then here in the NFL. I honestly believe that's the key to a great coach. Understanding your players, not only understanding them, 
but putting your players in a position to make the plays. Football rewards the guys that are in great condition. That's when you have fun. Let the mind control the body, not the body control the mind. I told the team, I said, hey, uh, we had a great team last year. We won the Super Bowl. Now, they've got to think about this, and they've got to give it some thought and not let it just go in one ear and out the other. Are they going to be better as an individual before next season? Treat a person as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a person as if he were what he could be and should be, and he will become what he could be and should be. 14, 13, 10 seconds to go. We're behind the Redskins, RFK. All right, let's go, Lynn. We got to have it. Got a little wind behind you. Got a little wind to the left. Got to be concerned about it. Let's go, Lynn. Focus in. Can you make it? Here we go. It's all on the line. That's way to hit it. Good job, Lynn. Perfect. Right down the middle. Perfect, Lynn. Cowboys win, as always. I treated our football team as winners. I treated them as a championship team because that's where we were headed. Jimmy, it was a great decision. You were a great teammate. You were a great partner. To the contrary of popular belief, we worked so well together for five years and restored the Cowboys' credibility with our fans. Any time that I've ever overpaid for quality, it has been a successful move. I really was enticed by the best. By the way, I went after and got the best coach available at the time. <laughs> Thank <too>. you. <laughs> Jerry, you come a long, long way. We both have from those first days when we were saying, hey, you know, we'll do something that'll be talked about forever and ever in sports history. Next, three contributors that the history of the game cannot be written without their presence. We have an in-depth look at the great life of Steve Sable. You're looking at an unusual story here and a person in myself who can go back and remember the sights and sounds and smells of the first time I ever put on a football uniform. I remember being in fourth grade and I can still remember the feel of the leather pads on my shoulders and the way they smelled. To me, football was all about myth. Life is great. Football is better. Steve Sable. And I think he really believed that. His whole life was NFL films. Basically, I think he saw his life through the camera and how it was going to be projected on the screen. I think my brother thought in frames. Yeah, and story, drama. Steve Sable was the greatest sports filmmaker ever. The thing that Steve should most be remembered for is he loved what he did every single day of his life, and that's why he was so great. He never stopped loving football. You know the Kermit the Frog in The, the Muppets? And he has a great line. He says, I always knew what I wanted to be even before my tail fell off. And even when I was a, a little tadpole, I knew this was the, the first time I ever sat in front of a little editing machine in 1962 and had film and ran through. I just knew, I said, if John Facenda was here, I'd say, this was your destiny. For us to just film it the same way television covers it, it would be abusing our profession as filmmakers. 
someone were to ask me how would I define our job at NFL Films, I'd say it is to bring a new understanding to something that's already been seen. To give a creative treatment to reality. Steve's always told us, and it's really a mantra around here, let's see if I get it right, is tell me a fact and I'll learn, tell me a truth and I'll remember, but tell me a story and it'll live in your heart forever. And there's an endless supply of those stories. So far there is. Perhaps the biggest influence in sports filmmaking is right here, television. Winner of over 40 Emmys, it was Sable who put the first wireless mic on Hake Stram in Super Bowl IV. Hey, let's go, man. Just keep matriculating the ball down the field, boys. Yes, sir, boys. <laughs> Woo! Since 1962, we have produced more than 15,000 hours of pro football movies. Over 50 years and thousands of programs, Steve Sable worked to glorify the sport of football and grow our love for the game. Commissioner Tagliabue was instrumental in developing the NFL. We take a look at the career of the great man, Paul Tagliabue. And I think sports has proven that it can be a positive force to change people's attitudes and bring people together. When I'm asked what our two big, biggest challenges are looking into the next decade, I say there are two of them. Number one is to adjust to, to the technological revolution in terms of how we deliver our game to the public. And number two is to maintain the respect uh, and, uh, with the public that the public has had for NFL players and coaches and teams. And I think we'll do both well. I think he has uh, got incredible integrity. He's got uh, involvement with this game for many years. Uh, Mr. Hallis had a great metaphor for the National Football League and he used it in the last time he appeared before Congress. He said that the league was like a wheel of a wagon uh, and that the league itself and the strong league institutions were the rim and the teams were the spokes. And every spoke had to be the same length, had to have the same opportunity to be part of the wheel and had to be just as strong as the strongest of all the spokes. And, and only then could we roll along together. Well, I think the hardest thing is to, you know, strike the right balance between uh, tradition and change, continuity and change, tradition and innovation. Those, those things are, that, those are the difficult issues. And that, you know, that, that's one of the issues we had with the Super Bowl. How much should it change? How, how much should it remain the same? But I think when you have something as successful for so long as the NFL, you have to be open to innovation, but you can't throw away the traditions that make it great. Mr. Paul Tagliabue, thanks for joining us. And, uh... The first question I think really has been on everybody's mind is, is talk to us about the pressures that you felt and uh, the situation about perhaps canceling this Super Bowl game. Well, I think the pressures that I felt are the same that uh, we all feel as Americans. We know what our priorities are. Our priorities are peace and freedom, and we know what the armed forces are doing for us all in the Mideast. So we've kept that in perspective, and I think in that way we know what's going on this week. The game on the field is really strong, and that, that's the critical thing. And that's a, that's a tribute to the college game. It's a tribute to the players in the NFL who have not been changed by the money that's in the game today, the salaries they get. Duncan, I think, gets it. You know, President Kennedy had the uh, President's Council on Physical Fitness. Well, that was great in 1960, but, you know, should there be the President's Council on Leadership in Sports? And if there is, what should it be? 
And how do you take this commercial engine that's out there in sports, which includes the colleges and universities, not just the professionals, and give it more impact uh, in society than it has had to date? People are working on it, but we're not there yet. I think we need to, we need to keep working harder. And finally, the third contributor is George Young, a staple in pro football, winning two Super Bowls with the New York Giants. George Young, you helped bring in some of the offensive linemen, but I want to talk about the quarterback, Jeff Hostetler. What did you see in him that you had such great belief in him that he could do the job at a Super Bowl? Well, a lot of us saw that, but in 1984, we drafted him, and we thought he was a top choice. We had a great grade on him. The, the problem was, see, in 84, it was indecisive about Sims. See, Sims is coming off 83 where he was hurt, and it really was an established quarterback. Sims got in, made him his run, and Jeff never got his chance. The greatest thing about Jeff is that however frustrated was, he hung in there, he waited seven years, for this great opportunity, and I know he realizes it was worth it now. Here are the 10 members from the Senior Centennial Slate that were announced live on Good Morning Football. Let's take a look at each of these legendary players. Howard Carmichael, known as the tallest receiver in NFL history. Carmichael averaged 52 receptions and eight touchdowns as a starter from 1973 to 1981. He still ranks as the Eagles record holder for career receiving yardage of 8,403 and touchdown receptions with 76. Here is the newest Philadelphia Eagle in the Hall of Fame, Harold Carmichael. Being 6'8", and you got 5'8", uh, defensive back, it was always an advantage. We was talking about down the chimney, meet me at the corner. Whatever I had to do to get rid of my guy, I would meet him right at the pylon. To see this guy going across the middle, running from one sideline to the other, and then reach back and catch a ball with one hand away from where he's running, it was just amazing. He'd beat the throw, and the throw was errant, and he'd just reach back and catch it with one hand. Spy those guys that want to play, and that will have an opportunity. That will see what you do, inspire them to be the best. I will. I mean, this is like, almost like, uh, I'm dreaming, you know, but uh, if it is like Mike Quick said, don't wake me up, please, you know, because this is, this is great honor. Jim Colbert, best known as the anchor of the offensive line for the Chicago Bears, the same offensive line that paved the way for a thousand-yard rusher every season of his career except for one. And we know who that rusher was. Sweetness! Pro Football Hall of Famer Walter Payton and the same offense that led the NFC in rushing for four straight seasons from 1983 through 1986. Here is a closer look at Colbert's career with the Bears.
Bobby Dillon dominated the gridiron during the 50s with the Green Bay Packers. Despite having lost an eye during a childhood incident, Dillon was named All-Pro Safety for three consecutive seasons and finished his six-year playing career with 45 interceptions. Here's a closer look at Bobby Dillon. Packers was slow to join the NFL's parade of champions, but the 1957 dedication of a new stadium got them in step with modern times. The dedication itself was a star-studded event. If uh, you aren't already, do you plan to be a Packer fan in the future? Oh, I certainly do. There's no doubt about that. I'm looking forward to that game this afternoon. Vice President Nixon and Marshall Dillon were familiar faces of the decade who were on hand to see the Packers do something decidedly unfamiliar, come from behind to win in the final minutes. But his pass is picked off by a Packer back named Bobby Dillon. Dillon dodges and dances for 60 yards as his blockers mow down the Eagles. He doesn't stop till it's touchdown Green Bay. Cliff Harris, arguably the finest free safety of his era that played for America's team, the Dallas Cowboy. Known for his hard-hitting style of play, Harris helped the Cowboys capture seven divisional titles and he played in five Super Bowls. In Super Bowl VI, he registered eight tackles, two assist tackles, and one pass defense in the Cowboys' 24-3 victory over the Miami Dolphins. Here's more on Harris. It's not Leroy's not on him, you're on him. 48. I mean, we're playing tough. When you see that when you see the flow, I'm going up and tango on the outside. I'm going right now. Tom Landry's doomsday defense of the mid-70s featured safeties who were almost identical in size and style. Their impact proved to be a lasting legacy. They enjoyed practicing out of everything around the game. Go deep, go deep, go deep, go deep. That's a way to go. That's a way to hustle, Cliff. That's a way to stay on him, Charlie. That's a way to stay on him. You know, many times the players around you make you. And I think in their case, they made each other. That's a way to hit it. Okay, Cliff. That's a way to go. You know, that's the thing you have to do in pro football. No matter what, you've got to adapt. You've got to change the way that you do things to make it and to be successful. Winston Hill, legendary tackle for the New York Jets, known as the gentle giant that protected Joe Namath's blind side during Super Bowl III's stunning 16-7 victory over the Baltimore Colts, where Namath guaranteed the win. At the time of his retirement, Hill held the club's record for most consecutive career games played with 195, an Ironman of his era.
Winston Hill. What can I say about him? I mean, what a man of integrity, leadership, great sportsmanship, and one of the best players, best offensive tackles that ever played the game. And he's in the Hall of Fame in our hearts. And I'm a better person knowing Winston Hill. And I just thank God for the opportunity to know a great man like Winston Hill. Alex Karras, another giant that dominated on the defensive side of the ball for the Detroit Lions and was the first defensive lineman to master a variety of moves to get to the backfield. After his retirement from the NFL, Karras tried his hand in Tinseltown and scored numerous roles, but we all remember and love him as Webster's dad in the ABC 80s sitcom. Here's a look at Karras' career. You think of Butkus? for the Bears, and you think of Karras for the Lions. I always thought he was a beast. I mean, he was a terror. He was ferocious. He hated quarterbacks, including his own. George Wilson, who was the coach back in the 50s, called Alex Karras the best defensive tackle he ever saw. He was really unblockable in our era. I'll always remember Alex Karras as one of the very, very best inside football players that ever played. He was one of the great defensive linemen of all time. He belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame without question. Now, to embellish what I said earlier about Lou Holtz, here is my colleague in crime. Box Office Barometer named him a year ago as the best potential young actor in the movie. Thank Alex Garrett. It's really hot out here tonight. Are you feel all right? <laughs> I'm chilled to the bone. Hey, you can't park that animal over there. It's illegal. Donnie Shell, one of the Steel Curtain's finest, known as a hard-hitting safety for the Steelers. Shell played in six AFC Championship games, four Super Bowls, and had a career-best seven interceptions in 1980 and 1984. He had two career pick six, a 52-yard return against the Cincinnati Bengals on October 1st, 1984, and a 50-yard return against the Miami Dolphins on November 1st, 1987. Here's a closer look at Shell's career in Pittsburgh. If there's any such thing as a Hall of Famer, Don is a Hall of Famer. Incredible safety, incredible. Uh, not only with interception, but his tackling, uh, you know, his hits to really make it, you know, his tackling and hits really made a difference in games and interceptions, of course. But, but, but he was a force out there and he was a game changer. And uh, him being a, a, a valuable component of the 
what I think is one of the best defenses in the history of the National Football League. Donnie, tremendous value in that. Certainly we had the guys up front and, 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 and linebackers, but you know, Donnie anchored that. I mean, you know, he, his ability to come up and, and to hit folks and to stop folks in, in the run game at a time when the run game was very, very important. I mean, and and, and uh, he, he was a force on our defense and uh, one of the reasons uh, that we were, we were so strong defensively. I didn't want to play second field to anybody. Uh, that was my attitude inside. Uh, I never expressed that outwardly, but um, whatever I've done in uh, high school, college, or, or, or here, I always was successful. So I thought being up here was no different. And uh, I had to be patient and, and wait my time, do everything 100% all the time, and uh, your time will come. Duke Slater and an American pioneer, Slater was the longest tenured African-American player to play during the 1920s. He blocked for numerous Hall of Famers and played in the historic game where Ernie Nevers scored a single game record 40 points on Thanksgiving Day in 1929. Here's a look at Slater's career. As a Chicago Cardinal, never set a record by scoring six touchdowns in one game against the crosstown rival Bears. Max Speedy, Cleveland Browns legendary wide receiver and U.S. veteran that was a part of the Browns during the club's All-American Football Conference dominance. Speedy, coupled with Hall of Famer Dante Lavelli, were a dynamic duel for the Orange and Brown. Speedy led the league for three seasons and receptions from 1947 through 1949 and was a part of a Browns team that finished first every season of his career. Here's a look at Speedy. Speedy's career. Max 
And the final member of the Centennial class is Ed Sprinkle, known as the meanest man in football for his strong and ferocious hits. He is one of the most feared players of his era, notably as a defensive end for the Chicago Bears. Legendary head coach and Pro Football Hall of Famer George Hallis described him as the greatest pass rusher I've ever seen. Well, let's see it for ourselves. Wow, what a list and what a special time for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and its newest 15 members of the Centennial class. And remember fans, the five modern era players will be elected on Selection Saturday, the day before Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Stay tuned with all breaking news regarding the Centennial celebration and enshrinement on our social channels at Pro Football HOF. Well, that's going to do it for us here on The Mission. Thanks for tuning in.